Welcome to Adventist Reflections, your network sharing character building ideas. Now, to discuss character building ideas, here is your host, Dr. Denzi. Hi, family, welcome back to the Adventist Reflections podcast, your podcast. Today, you are back to this practical series on Christianity, series about making friends for God. This episode is based on the Sabbath School lesson number two titled Winsome Witness. Last week we spoke about why you should have plenty of Facebook friends and Instagram friends and WhatsApp and every other social media you interact with. This week we will be speaking about keeping it real. The question to self-reflect here is, am I keeping it real? We will base these reflections on the Bible passage found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-19. to 19. But first, allow me to share with you perhaps a new concept for you, perhaps a new word. In psychology and psychiatry, we call this pseudologia fantastica, or mythomania. It is also known as compulsive lying disorder. And is what we know as a form of pathological lying. People with this kind of problem seem to be compulsive liars who have lost their ability to stop lying. Interestingly enough, lying takes more cognitive effort than being honest in general because you have to work harder to keep your facts straight. Once you start down the pathway of lying, you not only have to remember the facts that you're covering up, but the ones that you've changed and how you have changed it. Simply speaking, lying is just more complex and requires more hard work. Saying the truth, in reality, is not only easier, but it's also more satisfactory. The contrast, though, between a lying truth is quite marked. In reality, they are opposites. If I were to ask you what is the opposite of lie, you will say it straight away, truth. So the question here is, what is truth? A rather simplistic but sobering statement will be that truth is the opposite of lying or lie and you will go in this circular reasoning kind of thing when we go back and forth. And yet, a careful study of the truth from a scriptural perspective will point us back to the idea that the Word is the truth. And the Word is Christ, and Christ is God. So the truth is found in the Bible, the Word, where we can find Christ. And Christ relates this truth, and the truth is related to Christ, which is the same thing. Again, it's circular reasoning, but everything points back to Christ. Now, today's reflections as we mentioned, are found in 2 Peter. And let us read some of these verses. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. He, here, Peter says the following, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of the things that I have spoken, though you know and are established in present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that surely I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of the things after my decease. What Peter is saying here is that he is in need of sharing the truth for his present time, in the face of various deceptions. As we read this passage, it is not hard to perceive the commitment of Peter. 
and in what he is declaring. There is, there is a sense of duty. Perhaps we could even argue a sense of urgency. He is saying, I am no longer to be here. I know that I am going to die just like Jesus told me that I would. And so I must take advantage of the time that I have left right now and right here. I need to make sure that I am committed to my duty. I don't have time to waste. My time is short and I need to make sure that the message delivered is sound. And I must be diligent to share with you what is most necessary today. Here is the thing. Out of all Peter had to present, he informed the people of his time that he was keen to present to them what he called present truth. It is very interesting that Peter here is it's not saying anything outside of his experience. We'll explore that in a minute. But one thing he is also saying is in verse 12, I will not be negligent. What he's saying is, you know, perhaps you have already heard this message from me and perhaps you are bored or sick of it, but I must keep on telling you this. I'm not going to neglect this time because, again, I know my time is short. So let us pause here for a second and reflect. What is that we must present? What is it that Peter is presenting to the people? The question here I have for myself is, what am I presenting to those people who I'm witnessing? And I invite you to reflect. What are you presenting to those people whom, with whom you are witnessing? All those Facebook friends, Instagram, WhatsApp friends, all your co-workers, classmates, etc., etc., friends. What do you bring to them? Let's take it up to verses 16 to 18 of Second Peter chapter 1. He says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when he made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitness of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. In his first epistle, Peter had let people know that the end was near to come. That people must be prepared for such an end. With a sober mind, focusing on the things that mattered. Peter had been preaching this message for a long time. Ever since he preached that big sermon in the book of Acts, Peter had been preaching and people have been coming to Christ. He's been talking about Christ's resurrection and his return. Much, much like the other apostles will have been doing in his time. So now we have him saying in these passages with assurance that some people think that what he was saying were just fables or lies. But he's saying something like this. He's basically saying, I am here to tell you that this message is true in as much true as I saw Jesus myself. I saw him telling me this stuff. I saw his glory in the Mount of Olives. I saw his transfiguration. I heard the voice of God the Father saying that Christ is indeed the Son of God. Then he is saying, you know what? I saw all that stuff and I heard it. And I have assurance that I did not make this up. It's not a lie. It's true. And then he says, but you know you have the scriptures. 
given by men and inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. You can read them, you can listen to them, you can know them, you can understand them, and you can believe in them. In the words of the King James Version, he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Peter is saying, Christ was here. He was real. In fact, he is real. He is whom he said he is, the Son of God, God himself. But it doesn't not finish there, for Christ said that he is coming back and we have such an assurance in the prophecies given by men, inspired by God. And guess what? I am not making this stuff up because I was there, because I have an experience with Christ. It is in verse 19 when we see him saying, The more short of word confirmed which might also be translated the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter here suggests that the prophecy is even more certain because the coming of Christ must be certain because the witness that he had in his life is certain. He is like, look guys, I know what I heard. I know what I saw. You can tell me otherwise, but I know the experience that I have with my Savior. You don't want to believe it? It's up to you, but please, please believe it. Consider it. Check it out. Check the prophecies. In them you will find life. In them you will find that Christ, the morning star, the light of hope, they are inspired. In them you will find Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming soon. The evidence here that Peter is presenting he can do and present it in such a way because he had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with Christ. And he is presenting this message with instant sincerity and with much love. The urgency you see in Peter's message is one that tells you that Peter had a heart for the salvation of people. He had a heart to make, to make friends for God. The question we started with was, are you keeping it real? Am I keeping it real? In other words, are you presented Christ in all of your messages, in all of your doings, to those around you? Is your witness real? Are you bringing your personal experience with Christ today? Two elements are important. Number one, we must keep it real. And to do that, you need to have an experience with Christ. Indeed, a personal experience with that for whom you witness. And number two, you must keep it real. And to do that, you must present Christ with love. Remember, this is not about you. No, no, no. It's about God. Your personal testimony is about what Christ has done for you and about what Christ is doing for you and about what you know and have certainty of what Christ will do for you. Then you can be a conduit for others to open their eyes in how much Christ has done for them, about how much Christ can do for them right now if they accept him in their lives, and how much hope Christ can bring in their lives to come. The common denominator here is Christ. He is the reason for your and my witness. He is the one who needs to be real in your life and in your witness.
If you are ever hesitant to do something, remember that this is not about you. You are not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for Christ, the one who came, who died for you, who is hoping to bring you back to a life where there is no pain, no sorrow, and no suffering. From the book, Making Friends for God, from Mark Finley, the story is shared from a Dr. Marilyn Hellenberg, an English lecturer at the Kearney State College. The story says, one semester, Dr. Kearney had a student named Kwan. On the opening day of class, she asked the student to write a simple statement about themselves. Kwan wrote, I think English is a real bore. My main hobby is harassing stupid teachers, and English teachers are the stupidest of all. Quan was disruptive throughout the entire class. He had a callous disregard for the feeling of other students. As Dr. Hellenberg prayed the night, she was deeply impressed to see Quan through the eyes of God. He was created by God, valued by God, and loved by God. She prayed that she would be able to see Quan as Christ saw him. As the semester progressed, Dr. Hellenberg tried every possible way so that Quan would feel accepted in the class. But her efforts seemed to be just pointless, to no avail. He continued his belligerent, disruptive ways. One day, before reading a poem, she announced to the class, Juan, this poem is dedicated to you. The poem was Adwitted by Edwin Markham. He drew a circle and shut me out. Heretic, revel, a thing to flout. But love, I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. After class, one day, Juan lingered to ask a question. Why don't you just give up on me? Before Dr. Hellenberg could reply, he went on to confide. You can let people get too close to you. I play a game in which I try to hurt them before they hurt me. I have been rejected so many times, I cannot take it any longer. In his final essay, Juan wrote, There are three kinds of teachers. Those who are interesting, but stupid. Those who are intelligent, but boring. And those who are both boring and stupid, like my English teacher. When Dr. Hellenbeck read his final paper in quietness, in her office, she burst into tears. Lord, I have tried to reach this boy, and I cannot take it any longer. My efforts have been in vain. I have invested so much emotional energy in him. I am drained. After returning his final essay to him, she added one final thought. Juan, I cannot play mind games with you. I care for you because God created you. You are his child. Without further elaboration, she turned walked back to her office, placed her head in her hands, and began weeping. A few moments later, there was a knock on her door. It was Juan. 
and he had been moved by her kind heart. He said, "No one has ever cared for me before." If this has something to do with your Christ, I want to know about him. Today, my Adventist Reflections family, I invite you to think of someone in your sphere of influence who might be receptive to knowing more about Jesus. A son or a daughter, maybe a husband or a wife, a work colleague, a neighbor, a friend, maybe a relative, maybe just somebody around in the community who you see often. I want you to take the picture of that person's face in your mind and ask God to create an opportunity for you to guide the conversation in a spiritual direction. Do not feel that you have to create the opportunity. That's not your job. The opportunity will present itself because the opportunity will be given by God. This is not your mission. This is God's mission. As God makes opportunities for you, I invite you to be sensitive to such opportunities. Be intentional, be a friend, be a witness for God. My name is Dr. Dancy and today I choose to love God by praying for opportunities to keep my Christianity real. How about you? Have you listened to our mental health podcasts? It's called Gluten Time. You can follow and listen to Gluten Time with Dr. Dancy and Dr. Nard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Remember to follow and comment on our Adventist Reflections Network media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and see when we release new episodes. We also have podcasts in Spanish. Go check them out. God bless you.